0: So over the past couple weeks, we've been in this series called Checkmate, and I have a strong confession to make. I've never played a day, never played a game of chess a day in my life, and I don't plan on starting anything new anytime soon. So for those of you who are chess buffs, I apologize ahead of time if I get anything wrong in trying to correlate or explain what I really want to say. So please don't come up to me afterwards and chastise me. <laughs> Um, In the game of chess, one thing that I do know for a fact is that there are kings and there are opposing sides. There is a light side of the board and there is a dark side of the board. On each side there is one king that takes residence. The overall goal of playing chess that I understand is that you are to try and get the opposing king, and once you get the opposing king, you have won the game. Also that I do know is that they have all kinds of other uh, men and pieces, uh, such as bishops and rooks, and each one represents a different position of power uh, on, on that board. And as I got to thinking about this, as I began to analyze and begin to Uh, unpack this whole thing of chess, I began to see the parallel of the kingdom of God represented on this chessboard. Because see, what we do know is that there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of hell, and there is the kingdom of God. And we know that they are opposing sides. Neither one is in favor of each other. And we do know that on one side, there is a king, the king of kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. But then on the other side, there is the prince, Mm-hmm. The prince, uh, Satan, the prince of hell. <laughs> the one of darkness on that dark side. I laugh because his authority has been stripped already and he thinks he, that hasn't happened yet, but he doesn't realize eventually he will. But, but his goal, Satan's goal, is to actually capture King Jesus and destroy King Jesus. And once he destroys King Jesus, his goal is to destroy all of the rest of God's followers, all the rest of God's men and women, his creation, us. And anything that represents heaven, he wants to destroy that. His main goal is to capture the king and destroy everything. But if we are wise and we read the ending of the book... Uh, We know that we come out victorious, we know that Jesus is still the King of Kings, that he destroys the prince of darkness, and on top of that, we live, and we get to reign with Jesus, and the beauty is, is Jesus always wins, and on top of that, heaven outnumbers everything in hell, and it's not a fair fight. It's in our favor. I'm going to say that one more time. It's not a fair fight. It is in our favor. We should be really excited about that. (laughs) When I say things like that, just to preface this, I'm not looking for people to clap and get excited. What I'm looking for is that the reality of this revelation hits our hearts, and we get so excited about it that we can't contain ourselves. There is nothing worse than an apathetic church. (laughs) Wow, that's great. I'm glad. Thank God that he healed me. Amen. Yeah, wow. Man, we should be excited. Followers of Jesus should be the most exciting people to walk the earth. We have something. We have something incredible and we come out on top. Jesus desires to be the king of our hearts. He desires to take that throne within our hearts and rule over each and every single one of us, and it is important for us as Christ followers that we partner with Him, not just in a few things, but in everything. And here is why. Our disciplined moves create an effective future. Something we got to understand as Christ followers is that everything that we do, all of our actions, everything that we say, everything that comes from our mouth, everything that we think, every thought that is conceived will affect our future. Now, there are some people that will argue that and be like, well, no, that's impossible, you know, because I got gas at Quickfill the other day instead of Country Fair. And that didn't really affect my car. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we do on a daily basis, what we purpose in our minds, what, we, what comes up from our hearts, and what we live out on a regular basis will affect our future. It affects how we partner with Jesus Christ. In the, fa- in the past few weeks, we have been in the book of James. We have been walking through this series, and I think that uh, the book of James, only being five simple chapters, has very profound and transformational, transformational power in it that James wrote under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And last week, Pastor uh, took a little bit of chapter one and unpacked that. And then this week, we're going to still be in chapter one and unpack that. But before we dive in deep to that, I want us to look at what I would call the preface to where we are going this morning. Uh, I want to look in the book of James, chapter one. I'm going to ask you to join me in verse 19. Uh, whether on the screen or in your in your physical bible or on your notes James chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 This is what James says, "My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent" And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, at first glance, uh, if we would just open up the book of James and we start making our way down out of chapter one in miracle order, and we're going all the way down through, and, and at first, if we read, we see, like, wow, you know, wow, James really opens up this book, and, and wow, that makes sense, and okay, I can see the progression. And then we get down here into this verse, and we're like, Wow, this kind of looks like James just kind of threw a whole bunch of subjects into one part of this page and, and then just kind of moved on from there. But as I began to study this more and more, I began to realize that what James was doing was very methodical. It was very strategic, actually, in the way he outlined everything that we are about to go through this morning. James is telling us that we must clear the way for God's truth. We are told by James here that if there is any reluctance in our heart at this point, that it will block the acceptance of truth that God wants to relate to us. And in this day and age, in this culture, we need the truth. We need the truth, I believe, more than any time ever that we we are in currently. We need more truth now than ever before. In fact, clearing the way for God's truth also means that we must retain our speech. Now, see, a lot of times when people read this, they're like, that means you need to shut up and listen. That's not what James is saying. What James is actually saying in this passage is he is saying, when we come into the presence of God and we choose to open up the word of God, how can we hear the voice of the Lord if all we are due is talking to him, if it is only a one-way street? So James, first of all, says, listen, if you have any reluctance, you can keep reading, but you're not going to get anywhere. And then he says, if you're just a blabbermouth to the Lord and you just spew everything out to him, but you don't make time to actually listen to how he is speaking to you through the word of God, you're not going to get anywhere. And then finally, what he says is this, is that if we are angry in our hearts, it closes our minds off to God's truth. So if we are dealing with issues of anger inwardly or with other people or whatever that may be, we're automatically closed off to the truth. Funny story, I was, I was kind of just reminiscing about this uh, yesterday and, and then when we were worshiping, I kind of started to chuckle. And uh, you'll understand in a moment, but uh, about a year ago, I was actually doing a visit at a funeral home uh, for a visitation of a family. And uh, I was there at the funeral home, and when I go into funeral homes, I just have this boundary. I don't take my phone with me. I leave my phone in the car, because how, how many of us all know, because some of us right now are on our phones while I'm preaching. But anyway, <clears throat> I think that was of the spirit. <laughs> but I have this boundary that when I go into funeral homes, I just leave my phone in the car because. Even though I have my phone on silent or on vibrate, I can be talking with those individuals. And at that moment, they don't need you to be distracted. They need your fullest attention. And there's nothing more that gets your attention, buzz, buzz, buzz you know. And so you're trying to talk and then you're skipping around in, in, in your conversation and you're really not present. So I come back out and uh, I get in my car and I turn the car on and I pick up my phone just to make sure, you know, did I miss a call? Did somebody text me? What's going on? And so all of a sudden, I look down, and I have this unidentified number that sent me a text message. And so I open up the text message, and uh, at first, I I was like, well, this is interesting. And the text message is unknown, and it says, hi, I am a Satanist, and my job is to destroy you. So I was like, okay, sweet. So... (laughs) Now, I have a really awesome mentor, and he's dealt with this before, so I've asked him, and he's told me how to deal with this. So I text him back, and I'm like, hi, are you having a good day? <laughs> and so they, they text back, and it's, you know, kind of some foul language prefacing the actual message, and, and then it was, I am a Satanist, I know who you are, I know where you pastor, and my job is to destroy you. So I sat there a minute, and I text back, wow, that's great, so what's your first name? <laughs> So they text me back and they say, you don't need to know my first name, but I know yours. And so they proceed to tell me my first and last name. And they tell me that I'm a pastor at Erie First and all this stuff, common knowledge. And, uh, and then they have my phone number and all this. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's great. So let's get, let's just get to the point. Let's cut to the chase. What, what is it that you really want? And so the individual responds back and says, I am a Satanist. I am on assignment to destroy you and hail the King of Satan. So I respond back and I'm like, well, that's great. I really appreciate that. I said, I'm actually flattered that you, you were really out on assignment. I figured that Satan would have better things to do. But I said, I want to be able to pray for you and I really want to bless the socks off of you. So how can I be praying for you? And all of a sudden, like the immediate response came back with all of these vulgar words. And immediately I realized that this individual was full of such deep anger that they were absolutely reluctant to the truth that I wanted to speak to them in that moment. Needless to say, I tried actually, uh, I guess you could say, witnessing uh, to this Satanist that was out on assignment to kill me, and I'm still here, by the way. Um, (laughs) But they were so full of anger that they were totally closed down to the truth that God really wanted to bless them with, which was his love for them. We have to realize that an angry attitude does not produce an atmosphere of righteousness. Now, there is a difference between righteous anger, and then there is a difference between fleshly anger. James proceeds to use this phrase in this preface, and he says, Get rid of all moral filth. Now, immediately, you know, last week, Pastor Jack's sermon was really great, really powerful. And so automatically, when we think of moral filth, we always think, you know, to lust and sex and all of these things. But in this, the Greek word translated actually means to take off all garments, take off everything before the Lord, not in a physical manner, but in a spiritual context. What James is actually saying is, is that the moral filth and evil that is evident in your lives, that you are aware with, that you are aware of, you individually and personally, that which is deep down in your hearts, that you are fully aware of, when you come into the presence of God, and when you decide to open up the word, you must discipline yourself to begin to strip away every ounce of moral filth and evil that is evident within you, that you are fully aware of. That is what James is saying to us. He means to take off those dirty clothes in preparation to accepting the word of God. And what's interesting is he was not speaking to those who don't know Jesus. He was speaking to Christ followers. So this morning, before we go any further, I want to be obedient to the word. And what I'm going to do is we're just going to take a minute And we're going to silence our hearts. And just you, just you, not your spouse, not your best friend, just you. And we're going to take a moment and we're just going to silence our hearts. I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes and I'm going to ask that you and Jesus would have a moment, just you and Jesus, that you would have a moment and simply say, Search that deep area of my heart. Search it right now. Go where no one else has the ability to go. And if there is anything between you and me, Jesus, I just want to ask forgiveness of it right now. And I want to prepare myself for the remainder of the word that is going to come forth this morning. Go ahead. Just close your eyes if you haven't already started. It's just you. Father, this morning, we declare that we are clearing our hearts, Lord, of anything between us and you. Father, we declare this morning that we want your truth. Father, we don't want gimmicks, we don't want charades. We just want you and your truth. We want your presence. Father, I pray that where there is any heavy fog in our minds this morning, that your truth would dispel that in the name of Jesus. Father, where the enemy is trying so hard to wedge between us, Lord God, and you, we pray that you would remove that right now. Father, as James knew what he was doing when he wrote this, Father, preparing the way for what it is that you want to say in our hearts today. Let no anger or reluctance Get in the way of what you want to speak to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The next direction that James gives us concerning our disciplined moves is that it's our move. It's simply our move. See, our spiritual growth depends on us ourselves. Let me repeat that one more time. Our spiritual growth depends on us ourselves. You see, it's our move to progress on our spiritual journey as Christ followers. It is not the five-fold ministry's responsibility of your spiritual growth. It is not the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, and the evangelist's job to make you spiritually grow individually. Our job is to equip you and give you the resources and see the destiny within you and call it forth and give you the avenues, but it is your job as Christ followers, to grow spiritually and individually. It is our move. So many times I've had people come into my office and say to me, hey, I'm dealing with this issue, what should I do? And I always respond back with the question of this, have you read your Bible? Well, not really. I mean, I was kind of, have you read your Bible? No, not then. Go ahead, go read your Bible and let's set up another appointment. But I don't have an answer. Well, I guarantee you, if you get into the word, and if you really pray, and if you really seek out some accountability on this, I guarantee you that you will get the answer you need to grow spiritually. I'm a firm believer in the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man first. I take counseling appointments, but also I will send you right back to the word of God. (laughs) before I meet with you? Because it is our personal job. It is our personal journey to be growing in Jesus. And if we are spoon feeding you all the time, how will you grow and move into greater and bigger things? We must make these disciplined moves and realize that it is our personal move. Here's what James continues to say in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's interesting the wording here that James gives because what he's telling us is that we are operating in self deception. If we think that we can just flippantly read the scriptures, pray to God and just get an answer, worship until we feel good, or even use fasting as some magical formula to get what we need. That's what James is referencing here. When he's breaking this down for us, he's saying to us that all of these things that you do on a regular basis and you feel like if I just do this and if I do that right and I do this, then I will gain favor with God. And James is saying to us, no, that is not what brings you favor with the Lord. What brings you favor with the Lord is your heart behind your action. And I am reminded of this, when I read this, I was reminded of the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz.
1: No heart. All hollow. When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his mettle, and yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and awful sentimental. Regarding love and art, I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy who shoots the arrows if I only had a heart. Picture me a balcony, above a voice sings low. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? I hear a beat sweet just to register emotion jealousy devotion and really feel the part I could stay young and chipper and I'd lock it with a zipper if I only had a heart
0: we only had a heart. Tin man's story. You know, it's interesting that the tin man, even though he didn't have a heart, he was able to do some pretty cool things. Looked pretty cool. He could dance around, blow steam, all these cool little things. But he was missing the main thing, his heart. James is telling us in the scriptures That we can do all of these things, we can pray, and we can fast, and we can read the word, and we can quote scripture with elegance, but if we have no heart, we are only like an empty kettle, like the tin man. We can do all of these great things and try to obtain all of these great spiritual gifts, but if we don't have a heart, then it's nothing, and that is not what gains favor with the Lord. Instead, James encourages us to have a pure heart with no agenda before the Lord, and a pure heart with one another, and no agenda before each other. There's a Greek word called katataneo, and, it, and it, when it describes in James here, it doesn't mean that you look at something with a quick glance. It refers to a careful observation, having an attentive scrutiny towards an object. In fact, in the book of, um, in, the, in the Gospels, uh, where John, the disciple of Jesus, runs to the tomb to see when Jesus has, has risen from the dead, they use the exact same Greek word when John peered into the tomb that he was looking intent at the object to make sure and, and examining every little avenue of that tomb to make sure that Jesus was really alive and not in that tomb. In the same way, James uses this This wording, and he says, scrutinize everything. Look at every area of your heart to make sure there is nothing on pure and that there is no agenda that you have before God. Hence, he references looking into the mirror. Some of you who know me, I am very uh, big into the art of shaving. Uh, Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. Google it sometime. Not right now, but Google it sometime. I'm very into the art of shaving. Uh, There's a lot of classic vintage understanding behind it. And I actually shave with one of these. This is a straight razor. This is actually mine. Uh, For some of you, if you were to go home and try this today, it'd be like taking a meat cleaver to your face. And you don't want to do that. But you really got to understand how to use one of these before, you know, you just go and pick it up and just start slicing and dicing. You're going to come in with a lot of Band-Aids. But something about this is, is... When I shave, I have to know every angle, every detail of my face. I just don't go. I just didn't go and just buy a straight razor and lather up and just, you know, you know. I had to learn the curve of my face. I had to learn the way my whiskers go. I had to learn where every little corner of my facial hair is. I had to know where there's divots in my skin because if I'm not aware of those things, I'll end up cutting myself and hurting myself really bad. In the same manner, James says to us when we look in the mirror, don't walk away and forget what you have just taken on. Learn every little detail of God's heart. Learn every little detail of the word. This is a disciplined move that we must have. Become familiar with every little feature of how God speaks to us intimately. Become aware of every little feature of how God shows up in our daily lives on a regular basis. We are to listen and observe and to be obedient. You know, as Christ followers, we are called to break through for others that are in places that they cannot break through for. We are called to be warriors, men and women who go and war and break through for others in time of need. We're called to be champions, to champion a cause of God. But how can we? How can we break through for others if we don't understand the details of the word of God? If we are not understanding the details of how God speaks to us intimately, how he calls us to interact with one another, how can we break through For others that are in need that cannot in that moment, if we ourselves are not prepared to do that. In our Western Christian mindsets, we sometimes miss that discipline precedes blessing. Discipline precedes blessing. I've been watching the body of Christ for quite a few years now. I'm not talking just about us, I'm talking about as a whole. I've been watching the body of Christ for quite a while, and I've noticed that. What's very scary is we have slipped into the on-demand blessing, this on-demand blessing that we are entitled to because we are children of God. We deserve to be blessed because we are children of God, and that really scares me. Yes, we are called to be blessed of God, but we are not called to demand God. There is a difference. We feel that we're entitled to being blessed without the need to be disciplined and have that move of action to apply discipline in our lives. We feel that we should be able to quote a scripture and all of our problems will be done and over with instead of just reading the word and diving into it. We feel that we should be able to say that magic prayer and automatically be blessed and be provided for and have all of our needs taken care of without spending time intimately with God on a regular basis. When was the last time that you fasted for three days just so you could be closer to Jesus? When was the last time that you came into the presence of God and just spent time thanking and worshiping him and not asking for anything in return? Discipline always precedes blessing. In verse 25, it says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. In what they do. Did you get that? They will be blessed. We concentrate on the they will be blessed. But James prefaces that and says, now wait a minute, you'll be blessed, but but don't forget about this. So when we choose to listen and obey what the scriptures tell us, then we receive blessing. How many of you want to be blessed? Right. Some of you're like, I'm too cool to raise my hand, man. I want to be blessed. You know, (laughs) we all want to receive blessing. There is no one that wakes up in the morning and says, I hope that God curses me today. Hey, what do you got on the agenda today? What are you doing? How's your schedule look? Well, I'm just waiting for God to curse me. I'm pretty excited about it. I've been prepping all day for this. No, we wake up and we desire that we will be blessed of God. We desire that we will have a great day And James tells us that living out the word is a process of engaging Jesus continuously and not just in a moment, and that it takes discipline. Here's why. First of all, we are blessed when we spend time absorbing God's truth. There's a blessing in absorbing the truth of God. Next, the reason we are blessed is that we continue to do it daily Psalm chapter one says that David meditated on the Lord night and day, continually and daily. There is a blessing in it for us. The third reason that we are blessed is because we don't forget what we have heard. That instead of just flippantly reading through the scriptures, flippantly doing our little daily devotional, we shut the book, ah, done for the day. I'm off the hook now. I'm good with Jesus. Now I can go on with my day. Instead of just flippantly doing that, we take it to heart And we begin to live it out, and we don't forget, but it just continually runs through our mind and into and out of our mouths daily with those that we come in contact with, and it settles in our hearts. And finally, the fourth reason that we receive blessing is because we put it into practice. Everyone smile. We put it into practice. The Word of God. Church, The Bible is not a story. It is not a book of fiction. It doesn't go on the shelf. It doesn't belong on the shelf with all of the rest of the books that we read. It's not the latest summer series, it's not the latest book for the book club. It is something that we use as a manual as Christ followers that we apply daily, day in and out for every situation of our lives, not just a select few. That is what the word of God is there for. We put it into practice. And what's interesting is, is James gives us this whole thing and he says, here, put it into practice. You're gonna be blessed. And then he finalizes up this portion of scripture, and he gives us a final encouragement by telling us that silence equals godly maturity. Silence equals godly maturity. I love my daughter. She's going to be five soon. But somehow there is a spirit on her that she just doesn't shut up. (laughs) I've tried casting that thing out. I'm just kidding just joking. There is something about her at this age that the minute she wakes up, the minute, I mean, the girl is singing in her bed while the door is closed in the morning. And as soon as she wakes up and she finds another human being, she does not stop. I will put her to bed for her afternoon nap and she is still talking to me until I shut the door. I will go get her and she begins talking again. I think she talks in her sleep. Even at lunchtime or dinner or breakfast, she talks. We get in the car and she talks. <laughs> I'll be on the phone as she talks. One day I told her, I said, honey, it's okay to like take a breath and not talk for a minute. Okay, daddy. <laughs> See, sometimes we're like that with God. Sometimes we're like that with God, and we're like that with our relationships here. God tells us this way, and he says, listen, I just, I need you to be quiet. I need you to be wise with what you're saying. I need you to think before you speak. And then when we get like this, we're like, that's not tongues, people. Relax. But we're like, and God is saying, just be quiet. Be quiet. It is okay to be silent and to process before speaking. If we think that we are spiritually mature in Jesus, but we vomit at the mouth behind closed doors or with our select group of friends because we're voicing our concerns, we are being self deceived. In verses 26 through 27, this is what James says. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James points out that we can look like super Christians, but as soon as our speech becomes uncontrolled, our spiritual witness actually becomes weak or rendered as powerless, and the spiritual authority that we were operating in now begins to decline. Wow. That's not good. That's pretty rough. Gossip, slander, and criticalness are sin. Sin. And I hear it all the time. I like some of these excuses. While I'm voicing my concern, let's not mask it anymore. Let's not mask it anymore. I needed some advice. Let's not mask it anymore. And here's how I can help define this for you, in case you're wondering. If you are not part of the problem, and if you are not part of the solution, it is gossip. It is slander. And it is sin. I want us to understand a few things about this in which James pulls out for us. First of all, if we're not part of the solution or we're part of the problem, but we choose to listen... If that individual comes to us and they say, hey, I need your advice, and we choose to listen knowing that it is gossip, knowing that it is slander, our trust with those that are being talked about is ruined, and our witness as a Christ follower is now diminishing, and we now become borderline enemies with God. That is a position you don't want to be in. Second of all, if we're not part of the problem or the solution that is gossip, we have no authority to speak into the situation. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor, pastor, you don't understand. The person asked me for my advice, so I was giving my authority on this subject into the problem. Again, if you are not part of the problem, if you are not part of the solution, you have no authority in that manner. Zero. (laughs) Nothing. Finally, if you are not part of the problem or the solution, You are now causing division among the body of Christ. You are not helping mend it. Here's another good excuse that I get Pastor, what if it's about somebody in authority? Who do I go to then? Last time I checked on staff, we have several pastors not just one. Go to your authority because your authority has the authority to speak into the situation. But the minute you start gathering others around you in the situation of your gossiper slander, looking for false authority, looking for godly counsel, turning a prayer request into a gossip fest, or voicing your concern, you have now just diminished your spiritual authority, you have diminished your witness as a Christ follower, and you will probably be in trouble with your spiritual authority. (laughs) And James tells us that is not the place that we want to be at. In fact, it's so interesting how James puts this at the end because When I was, I've been in the book of James for quite a few months before we even started this series and I'd already been studying this and and I got to this section a long time ago and when James then throws in there, he says, but if you want to do the work of God, go take care of the orphans and the widows. And I was like, dude, are you like on ADD? Because you are just like telling people like, you know, here's how you conduct yourself with gossip and slander. And then you're like, go take care of the widows and the orphans. Well, this is what he meant. When we invest our energy, into taking care of those who are in need. Instead of investing our energy and our time into gossip, self-seeking justice, slander, and ungodly solution solving, which I call drama, we actually do the work of the body of Christ. But when we choose to gossip and slander and pull everyone else in, those that are connected to us in relationship will actually begin to suffer and not flourish. But if we take our energy and our time and the wisdom of God and we invest it to where it should be, instead of doing this, we will see the body of Christ advance to where it needs to be. If we want to create an effective future, we must be clear. We must clear the way for God's truth. Second, we must understand that it's our move and our responsibility individually. Third, our discipline will always precede the blessing of the Lord. And finally, silence really does equal godly maturity. Let us stand. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the power behind it and the truth that, Father, there is freedom in it that sets us free. Lord, I pray that we would really be doers and hearers of the word. Father, I pray that our hearts have been cleared out for the message this morning that has come forth. Father, I I bind up the self-deception in our minds of saying, boy, that was a great message for so-and-so or this other person. Father, I pray that we would let our own pride down individually and accept the message for ourselves and allow you to examine the depths of our hearts and not pass this one off, God, but really allow you to have your way in our hearts. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that you continually give and display to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Have a great weekend.